Man, I absolutely love that cup scene. And she's telling herself, the force is in me. The force is in me. And I'm like, yes, you're channeling that Sure, Imway energy, you know, I'm one yes. with the force and the force is with me. <laughs> and everybody listening, you know, you have 100% attempted to do this at one time <laughs> or another, or like you're doing the Neo Matrix thing with the spoon. everyone to Krypton to Alderaan. I'm Joey, your Star Wars lover, and with me is Royish Good Looks. Hello, podcast. Hello, Joey. Hello, and we're the podcast that analyzes nerdy pop culture, but it's mostly Star Wars. And today we'll be discussing Ahsoka Part 3, Time to Fly. But first, hey, don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening or watching so you don't miss out on the rest of our Ahsoka coverage. If you're tuning in on YouTube, please consider subscribing. And like and comment. Let us know what you thought of the episode, of both the episode of Star Wars and this episode of us talking about it. Uh, or drop us a line on any social media. Just search Krypton to Alderaan. That's A-L-D-E-R-A-A-N. <laughs> Bringing that back. <laughs> We'd love to hear from you and hear what you think of Ahsoka so far. I think that's it. That's enough of that. Let's catch up with Ahsoka and Sabine and Hugh Yang headed to the Denab system. Punch it, Royce. Okay, Royce, last week when we discussed the two-episode premiere, we kind of started pulling on a thread uh, along the lines of what does it mean to be a Jedi? So I think I want to pick up that kind of thread, keep tugging on that thread with this episode as well. Maybe a little bit shorter than we were used to, but I think it really brings us deeper into this kind of like maybe thesis that we're approaching the show with. So what did you think about opening right up on Sabine's training with Hugh Yang, where you actually get to see her with some like lightsaber training and stuff like that? Dude, that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen that he's got these like faux sabers that measure that where you I hit. Said. It's like, yes. you know, like if you're going to be like a, <laughs> Train for archery, you know, you've got a target, right? So you're like trying to hit the bullseye, but you can see if you're not hitting it, you get a measurement. So that's like, that's ingenious. Had that shown up in Clone Wars or Rebels before? I don't, I don't remember that. Not, not that I can recall. This was my first time seeing it. Cool. So we got some like brand new Jedi lore stuff. I think that's yeah. one of the coolest things about Ahsoka so far is this history with Hu Yang is quite fascinating, I think. Agreed. Right? I know yes. Hugh Yang's your favorite, so you obviously must have loved that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Last week I said, you know, what a cool role for Hugh Yang, like Ahsoka's like, see if you could figure out who these people are based on their lightsabers. Genius. Absolutely genius like role for him to play. This, I said it again. Just him training, he he understands all of the techniques and the stances because he's he like understands what Jedi work best with what lightsabers. Just like his history and the lore aspect there. I could talk about it forever. It's so, so cool. It was so cool to see. Again, like his choreography and the way he moves and stuff was great. What a cool scene. I love that. And then he's like very, I, I don't know. I've seen a lot of people talking about how like he's the sassy droid. And it's coming to me less sassy and more just like honest. Like he was created maybe before droids started having like emotional capacitors or whatever. Like when BB-8 thinks Poe is dead, he's sad. But Hugh Yang's just like honest. Like you didn't do bad, but you didn't do good either. 
You have no aptitude as a Jedi. I mean, it's all true. Like he even says, I only spoke truth. You know, the Jedi would not, she is not an acceptable, whatever he says. Anyway, really, really cool opening scene and really, really cool role for Hu Yang to play. Yeah, and he reiterates the whole, you know, there are not a lot of Mandalorian Jedi, so it's probably unlikely that she's also a Mandalorian Jedi. There's just right. so few of them. But I love that later on, he's like, you know, you come from a long line of non-traditional Jedi Ahsoka, and so maybe yeah. Sabine does. And like you said, redefining like, well, what is a Jedi? Ahsoka even admits, she's like, I don't care if she's going to yeah. be a Jedi. I want her to be herself, which like is one of the most beautiful sentiments I've ever heard expressed in a Star War. That's not like, it's your destiny. Like, no, you don't have a destiny written in stone. You just got to be you sort of thing. Like, if she had told Sabine, like, all Jedi have the Force, you, well, I guess she does say, you know, the Force is within you, or it's in all living things, so it is within you, but she's not putting the pressure on, like, move the cup, come on, do it already. 100%. And again, like, with this being a transition from animation to live action and the animation that we know, in my mind, it's almost exactly the same way is Kanan was a teacher. Once he got his footing, he wasn't, he didn't really know how to be a teacher to Ezra at first. But then when he did, he was very much this, like the Jedi are gone. Maybe some of that is because of that institution. Ahsoka even is like, they failed, Hugh Yang. And so Kanan, I think, became this teacher that was very much like both, I don't need you to be a Jedi. I need you to be you. And being you, you'll be the best Jedi that there is. So I really love that sentiment. And it's really, I think, what makes shows like Rebels feel so special. And I'm so happy to see that being brought over into a live action show. And let's go to the non-traditional Jedi, the history of Ahsoka being from non-traditional Jedi. For anyone who is not familiar, let's track her, her Jedi family history. Qui-Gon Jinn to Anakin, although somewhat briefly, but I'm going to count that. Qui-Gon was the one who brought Anakin along to Obi-Wan who Clone Wars era, you can kind of see that maybe more and more Jedi were non-traditional, but Obi-Wan's probably the most traditional Jedi in there. To Anakin, obviously, like we all know, and then to Ahsoka. So yeah, I think a long lineage of non-traditional Jedi, again, not really being sassy, but certainly comes off as sassy to like an organic individual, right? Like she even looks at him like, what the hell, man? And actually, like, at that moment when she has that reaction, the camera zooms in on her. And I, I was like, oh, my God, we're getting a flashback. We're going to see if... But it just, it goes to Sabine moving the cup, which was also great. But I really thought we were going to get a flashback in that moment. Yeah, and they've teased the Anakin voiceover in yeah. the trailers. So I would assume at some point we'll get some kind of vision or flashback. I've totally forgot about that. And we haven't seen any of that yet. I would... Man, if they flash back in this episode, I probably would have been like, oh, come on. Yeah, 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 but yeah. anyway, <laughs> hopefully that's coming up and that'll be seamless. Yeah. Another thing here with maybe going again, going back to some some points we talked about last week, we're only three episodes in. So we're obviously still learning a lot and learning about Ahsoka and Sabine's history post Rebels. I think after the premiere, we had questions as to whether like, does a Jedi mean you have to have the force? Like Sabine might not, quote unquote, have the force. Uh, we know that everybody does, but have aptitude for the force. So we were we were kind of spitballing about like, well, maybe that's maybe we're redefining things. Maybe Ahsoka is saying you don't need to have aptitude for the force to be a Jedi. You just need to do good. And I'm going to teach you. And I was a Jedi and all that stuff. But now we see Ahsoka actually 
training Sabine to have an aptitude for the Force, which is just another thing that I kind of really love. Like, the Jedi are very regimented. Maybe this is why they take on people so young, right? Before you get to maybe more emotionally cloudy or out of control, they want to start your aptitude training early. But Ahsoka's point of view that anyone can do this, like, you can do this, anyone can do this, but training and practice are the most important things here. So I think just like, again, maybe redefining what it means to be a Jedi in a different way, even for Ahsoka, because there's just no language of you're too old, can't teach you, you're too old, which is all we've ever seen, really, except for Luke and Rey, I guess. Like for everyone else, most of the time, the language is too. I, I guess Yoda even says that about Luke, but so just a cool point of view. Luke still struggles. He struggles yeah. plenty of times, like in the beginning of Empire when he's trying to pull his lightsaber out of the ice and it's only a couple of feet from him. It's not even, I mean, it's just like the cup sort of thing. And he comes from Anakin, the like supposedly has the most midichlorians of all the Jedi. So, you know, it was even difficult for him and he had to learn the powers. And I love so much of the poetry moments here where like Luke's training with Yoda. You know, of course, all the scenes on Dagobah are super classic. And there's the whole like, you don't believe in yourself and that's why you fail. I'm this tiny little guy and I can lift the X-Wing, you know, it's size matter not. I think about that with Sabine because she's self-defeating even more so in this episode. She already did that the last episode where she's like, I've given up and Ahsoka gave up on me and woe is me, I'm a big baby. And here she is in this episode (laughs) and she's like, I can't do it. You know, she's telling herself she can't do it. And I was waiting for, there were already so many like parallels with the dialogue that it might have been a little too heavy handed for Ahsoka to say like, you don't believe in yourself, you know, and that's part of the problem sort of thing. But that's what it is. I mean, I absolutely love that cup scene. And she's telling herself after she just had this conversation with Ahsoka, you know, the force is in me. The force is in me. And I'm like, yes, you're channeling that like Chirrut Imway energy. You know, I'm one with the force and the force (laughs) is with me. And I think that's a cool parallel too. Like, yeah, I'm not sure a lot of people are going to like compare Ahsoka and Rogue One because they're like kind of very different. I guess maybe not so different, but that character of Chirrut and Sabine, sure, it's not a quote-unquote Jedi, right. but, like, number one, he's blind, and the dude is a badass. So yeah. I think there's some interesting correlations there. I don't know. Like, he's got an aptitude to the Force. Like, if Hu Yang was talking to Chirrut, would he be able to, like, figure out that he was, in fact, Force-sensitive? Or was mm. that just, you know, his personal belief in the Force? Like, literally the mantra, you know? And right. same thing, man. I, I love Rogue One. Like, Bay's at the end when... After Chirrut, boiler, gets blown away, Baze Malbiz is like, I am one with the Force and the Force. Like, even yeah, yeah, him yeah. at, like, the end of his rope is like, I'm going to try to believe in this, you know, for that right. one last stand in this battle. So I know we're going way off course with that, but that's what I was picking up in that scene with, with Sabine repeating that to herself. And then she's trying to move the cup. And everybody listening, you know you have 100% <laughs> attempted to do this at one time or another, or like you're doing the Neo Matrix thing with the spoon. Like, yeah. if I just like think hard enough, I can make this happen. Maybe the laws of physics don't actually allow you to do that. But the the idea that if you believe you can, then you can, holy cow, that's powerful yeah. stuff. Yeah, I think that this is all kind of speaking to, I mean, it's very Star Wars. That whole thing was so very... The, the helmet, right? The the blaster shield on the helmet. And like, I can't see. How am I supposed to fight if I can't see? Like, copy-paste, which is great. A poetry moment that I love. And then the whole training scene with Ahsoka, like, dancing around her 
trying to trying to get Sabine to reach out with her feelings and stuff like that. Ahsoka even says, you're training your body, right? You're good with weapons because you're Mandalorian. You're training your body, but you must also learn to open your mind, which obviously a good teacher, she's trying to teach her, but also might be a key to opening Sabine up because it's very reminiscent of something that Kanan said to her when he was training her to use the Darksaber. Very much of you need to be a Mandalorian and open your mind to being a Jedi or being this person who can wield the Darksaber. You can't control it. You have to work together with it. So she keeps getting these lessons like reiterated to her from different masters, which I also just got. It's another great poetry moment for anyone who's seen Rebels. But I also like love it as the idea of like, that's what's getting reinforced inside Sabine's mind to take her to the next step, to, to make her whatever awesome Jedi Mandalorian slash warrior, whatever she's going to become. And we hopefully see her become. Yeah. Yeah. You got to hear those like fundamental things over again. I think in this series, like if you're not familiar with Rebels, you're just seeing that for the first time. Right. Yeah. The reiteration is also an interesting factor because she's dusting. She's dusting the dust off. They say like, it's been a long time since I've done this, but I sort of remember how to do it. I just got to get tuned up a little bit. Dude, uh, aside from this ethos of like what it means to be a Jedi and her training, I really loved uh, some of the production in that scene when Ahsoka's sneaking around. The very first time she's like, where am I? She says, oh, you're next to Hu Yang. You only see Sabine's face. Ahsoka says, are you sure? And this morning I was listening on headphones. It comes out of like one ear, like very prominently. But oh, you don't get to see so her good. on screen. Yeah. So you're like, whoo. Like, so even you experiencing the show, you get tripped up as to like, where is she? You know, you don't get the visual cue on screen, but you get the auditory cue. Yeah, that's great sound design and production. And like, you know, they chose to not show Ahsoka on screen for that. So, you know, if you got a great sound system or headphones, you know, you were cued into that same experience that Sabine had. That hit real hard for me this morning. I love that. Great work, team. I think we come on here every week and say, oh, there's so much we could talk about. But like the production quality, uh, again, I think of this show is what I consider to be maybe next level on on so many different levels on that, which like now you're making me want to go and listen on headphones and try to pick up on more stuff. But the music, obviously, Kevin Kiner. And again, the direction and the writing, I think, is I don't know if I'm getting protective of this show because she's my favorite character, but I guess I just want to reiterate that I came into this thinking I would be very critical because of the other live action shows and because I'm protective of this character. But I am obviously, uh, if you can't tell, obviously really enjoying this show and I am really loving this portrayal of Ahsoka. But the direction, again, like with stuff like that or the cues to the cameraman or like the way Ahsoka pauses to take a while to think about what to say. When Sabine says, I thought we could expedite my training, and Ahsoka kind of like takes a minute, takes a beat, and is like, ah, it doesn't really work that way. You know, nicely, not like, come on. She is incredibly patient with her teaching, yes. you know, yes. whereas she, like I said, she could just be hammering on her like, no, you don't get it. You know, you're right. like, honestly, Yoda in Empire is kind of a curmudgeon. Even though he's telling Luke he should have more patience, Yoda has no tolerance for no. Luke's BS on Dagobah. And it, it makes that training even more difficult. And so I don't know if Ahsoka is familiar with that, but like she's trying to teach in a different way. I think that this is great. Okay, let's go down this. <laughs> let's go into, let's, I, I, I really want to talk about Ahsoka's pedagogy and how I see it change even in this episode. But when we see her in Book of Boba Fett, she's at Luke's like new temple 
And this was my problem with that version of Ahsoka, is that I don't think she would let Luke, or at least, like, not let him, but if she's there to be guiding him to building this new order, the way he was doing it is not something that I think, quote-unquote, my Ahsoka would agree with. Hashtag not my Ahsoka. The way he's treating Grogu, the way Ahsoka's to Din is like, ah, you don't really want to go see him, do you? And interrupt his training and all that, like, messing with Din, kind of. That's what really rubbed me the wrong way and what got me more kind of afraid of this series. But to see that completely changed here and to see her being more patient and more not Jedi-like, right? Like she even tells Hu Yang, I'm not a Jedi. So I think we see her pedagogy changing. I am still a little bit confused as to why she was that way in Book of Boba Fett, but I love seeing this version. You're training your body. You must also open your mind. She's very soft and smooth. Even when she does the training with Sabine with the blast shield down, the way she moves is so fluid and calm. And she's just like taps Sabine on the shoulder. They only actually like cross blades when Sabine's got it right. She knocks her over at the end. But to say like anger is quick to power, which is also the best way this has ever been said in Star Wars. Yes, the dark side can be a quicker path to more power, but it leaves you open to bad footing. That was incredible. That is so, so good. But then we continue to see that pedagogy changed. Uh, Ahsoka is doing that training with Sabine and leaves her with the cup. And then she goes to talk to Hu Yang and they have that conversation about like the, Je- the council or the Jedi would have not had like approved her training. And then Ahsoka says, I don't want Sabine to be a Jedi. I want her to be herself. And then we have this really incredible, again, like people complain about the pacing issues, but this really slow realization moment on Ahsoka's face during the dogfight when she realizes like what she just said about Sabine and completely changes the way she handles Sabine. When they're in the, there's a very specific moment, the camera lingers on Ahsoka's face And that's when she tells Sabine, who's in the tail gun, Sabine, tell me what you need. She completely changes her approach to saying, if we work together, we're much more likely to work together. And so from that point on, they're like, boom, dive, boom, I'm going to split them on my mark. They're like in perfectly in sync. You can see it change in that episode, which brings me to another point of like, hey, back to not needing the pew pews. This is the middle of a dogfight. And we're seeing this like extremely different thing and emotional connection occur and damn that's good <laughs> i agree i agree honestly i could have gone for like the lightsaber you know training for you know the whole whole episode like i really love the whole jedi training aspect of this show you know i've mentioned this before in the podcast like kind of missed in some of the other uh series so far and like this is great i love it there's not a lot of like fan service i would say but there's absolutely a lot of poetry moments and I think mm-hmm. that's a better way to go about the like, quote unquote, kind of stereotypical fan service thing. Like, don't just show up with cameos and, you know, yeah, whatnot. yeah, for sure. But the dialogue that is like very reminiscent, I love that it does feel familiar. And I'm, I'm not mad no. that it is kind of that copy paste sort of thing where you're like, without the shield, how am I, how am I supposed to fight? Like, it, of course, that's like the same dialogue. A lot of that stuff rhymes with the same words with the same words sometimes. But that works, though. That, Like you said, that's Star Wars. In the dynamic between the two characters, they're handling that so well that I don't care that they're in a space battle. Like you said, even though the space battle looked fantastic and even the space battle was just a punched up version of like the Death Star escape. You know, there were a lot of shots kind of 
one-to-one -one from that, but with more fluid camera movements and whatnot. So like, it just, yep. it just feels good. And if you want to complain about that, then why did you even like the original Star Wars? <laughs> it's, it's great. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. I'm so excited that we're so excited about this show. I mean, that's just golden in my mind. And I think, I mean, it's just more fun to make content when that happens. Speaking of the space battle, this is maybe going to be a non-as-substantive moment, but man, we got our first close-up look at live-action Purgle, which is just so damn cool. Did you think we needed 50 of them? Well, they travel in pods like right. whales do. Fair enough. Come on. They do travel in herds. It's a real <laughs> Jurassic Park moment. Royce is wearing a Jurassic Park shirt. They just, they looked really cool. The sound effects were really cool. It was awesome to see them, like, navigating around. It was a little reminiscent of, like, what Ahsoka just trained Sabine to do. Like, you're not always going to be able to see what you're doing. They're navigating through this mist or clouds or mm, stuff, and you have these space whales coming at you. Did you watch that scene with subtitles? Yes. Did you catch what it said about the purgle? No, what did it say? Melodic rumbling. Oh, yeah. Let's uh, write that down. Melodic rumbling. The name of Royce's Royce, Royce Good Looks <laughs> next song. And at first I was like, that's kind of like silly, but like it makes sense to like, hmm, sort yeah. of like, you know, whaling. I love listening to whales <laughs> and I love listening to star whales. Just really cool to see up front. It's been something that I think those of us who know about them have been waiting for. They've been teased a couple of times throughout live action. So just very cool to see. And they looked great. Seems like there's a lot of money going into this, obviously, whereas, I don't know, can you tell what scenes like that if it's the volume? There are scenes in Obi-Wan and Mando where it's very obvious that it's the volume, but now I, I hadn't even considered it until right now that that might be, but I could not tell. I think I pick out the volume in some of the other series when I am less interested in what's actually going uh, on, maybe. Yes. And, you know, the funny <laughs> thing is, uh, Robin and I were just watching Attack of, Attack of the Clones the other day. And you're like, holy cow, there's nothing real <laughs> in this yeah, scene, yeah. you know? And like, then 100%. we go to like an, an actual set, you know, you go to Naboo or something and you're like, oh, there's a tree and it's like waving in the wind and it looks real. And that's kind of jarring. So this show, I agree with you. I'm not picking out the visuals, but I also think the visuals look great. It, and I haven't yeah. been trying to find flaws in it. I do like how everything looks though. Like, especially the space battle, the ships moving around. Sorry to beat up on Obi-Wan, but like all of the ships were like dead center in the scene and moved like yeah. straight down the frame rather than like dynamically in and out, which maybe is like kind of original trilogy era. You know, they didn't do incredibly complex camera work, even though they did pan and tilt and whatnot. But like it's very stagnant for the most part. Mm -hmm. But with the space battle here, it's like you, you get a little more yeah. 3D imagery from it. This show looks good. It sounds good. Let's just keep rolling. <laughs> it looks good. It sounds good. <laughs> How do you feel about the length? We went from like 35 to 40 minute, two episode per episode premiere, two of them, to this one, which by the time you start the credits is about 30, 31 minutes. Yeah, this was a pretty short and sweet episode in comparison. Man, you know, like we're redefining what it means to be a Jedi. And in the streaming era, of television that we live in, we've redefined what te television shows mean, and that includes the length of them, and that includes the length episode to episode, which is wild, you know? When you're tuning yeah. into something on regular broadcast television, it's formatted for length. That's built into the writing and the production that it's 42 minutes or 22 minutes or whatever. And I think there is something to be said when you can maintain that structure because you know what to expect week to week, and it is always a little tricky when a streaming show 
gives you different formats every week. And especially when it is with the length, because if you're hoping like, oh, I want this big epic thing and you don't get the big epic thing, but what you did get was still good. Yeah. You're still let down because, you know, it didn't meet your expectations a little bit, even though it was good. You had the wrong expectation. You set yourself up for failure. This is the destiny of the Star Wars fan, right? <laughs> so this is tough because, like, I love the episode. I have no problems with the episode. But the way it ended, I was like, man, this is just getting good. But we cut it off. So I'm excited for next week, but I still wanted more. And the fact that it left off on like a brand new scene, I think might have been the thing that really was tough for me to like get over immediately is like, oh, Balin, I like Balin. He's cool. And like, oh, he's got all these bad guys and they're going to go find Ahsoka and Sabine and they're going to fight. And you're like, well, you're not getting that this week. You'll get it next week. Tune in next week. And if we're on broadcast TV, we would have got an epic trailer for the next episode. But we don't get that in streaming because that's the that's the era. It's just a little different now. We got great menacing music during that scene, though. So here's I'll put one little sprinkle of positivity on the end of this little gripe. The music there, it seems like it's not the fully developed thing. Maybe we'll get an epic Duel of Fates moment with Sabine and Shin and Ahsoka and Balin. So I am maybe going to set myself up for some failure in the future if that doesn't pay off. But like Kiner is crushing it. So he had a little kind of theme that popped in there at the end, the dramatic swell into the end credits. And I'm hoping that that then turns into something epic that we're all like, remember Duel of Fates? How crazy is it that we reference the title of, you know, the piece for that scene in The Phantom Menace? So if there's a moment like that, that would be phenomenal in this series. And so I was I was teased at the end. I was like, damn it, I want more. And I know I shouldn't. (laughs) classic poetry moment yeah it would be really awesome if that's maybe a little bit of Kiner's goal in this or anyone who works on that staff's goal like let's let's make a duel of fates let's make a piece of star wars music that people talk about forever it's one of the most popular things that comes up when talking about the prequels right so it'd be cool if they're like trying to do that like make their own version but I can't say enough good thing about his music. Go and listen to the soundtrack to season seven of The Clone Wars. It is incredible. It's really interesting because I started to see this take after the episode and I noticed how short it was, but I knew how short it was going in. So I kind of kept waiting for it to end and then it kept giving me more. So I did feel very fulfilled by the end and I do like, like, here's another question for you when I'm done with this long-windedness. You've talked about before about how it's a little jarring for you what some of these shows do with the non-linear storytelling. And this was like, okay, well, here's this sort of big line that flows through, that goes through the premiere episodes. And then this shorter line that's going through this episode, but it's taking them from Lothal to the Dinab system. It's exactly the length of time dedicated to that part of the story. And so it's all told in these chapters or these like three-act structures that get us to exactly where we need to be to start the next episode. And so if the lengths were different, it it might be filled with stuff, you know, this is complete speculation or whatever, but it might be filled with stuff that we, you know, don't think is good or that we think is good. But either way, it's getting us to that next point. And I'm kind of really digging this linear structure to it. I do think we're going to get some flashbacks that are going to mess with that, but it is really good to see. So I kind of really liked the length. Even when I watched it a second time, it was still like I was so caught up in it. And then I saw the pergil and my eyes got like like the scene in the mask 
when his eyes bulge out as uh, heart shapes. And then it ends with Balin and he's like, find them and destroy them. And then it ends and it's just like, I just love this little section of the story that was told in this little tight 30 minutes that gets us from Lethal to Sitas. And then now we're in it for next week. And we know that Ahsoka and Balin have a showdown in that structure. So we've seen it in the trailer. But yeah, I just did not feel either time I watched it, I did not feel that it was too short. I felt like it just kept giving me stuff that I really enjoyed seeing. So I think my... I, maybe in conclusion here is that I think maybe it doesn't, the length does not matter to me because I honestly enjoyed every minute of this episode. Well, I have to agree. Like, and I, I don't know which episode of our pod I've said this before, but I've definitely mentioned before, like, it doesn't matter what the length is as long as you tell a story in it that makes sense. And I yeah. will agree with you. I loved everything that happened. And you're right. They get from A to B. And now they can, the two sides are going to meet most certainly in the next episode. It's interesting though, the, like the little teaser at the end of Balin. If this episode was the same format of all the other ones, A to B and little teaser at the end within like roughly the 30 minute span, then you could wipe all of this away because the expectation is there that you're like, that's what it is. But we got a big episode, slightly smaller, slightly smaller. And the little stinger at the end of like, here's what you can expect for next week. The like yep. random scene at the end. It reminds me a lot of like, other traditional broadcast TV where like we have to get the viewer in next week. So at the very end of the episode, introduce a bombshell moment. This reminds me a lot of like Prison Break or 24 or like or e- Love e- Island. Any of these shows, you know, there has to be at the last moment like, oh no, what are we going to do? You know, an yeah. un- unresolved conflict that's going to resolve next week and then you'll be satisfied. It still works. That's what they designed this episode for. They couldn't have gone into the, the Jedi battle stuff. No, you know? no. It yeah. Then it would have been too long. So they, they did. They told that one story. They teased the next one. That's all they could do. But yeah. gosh darn it, like it would, it would be great if they were all roughly the same length, though. I, this is something I most certainly have to get over. I would love to know if other people are thinking about this. I know this has yeah. sort of been a thing that's out there because like, it still was a great episode. It's a minor gripe, but it's still something that just, it's hard for me to get over. So it must be hard for other people as well. I don't know what that is. I don't know how to brace for that other than just like, just let it go. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if anybody's going to get annoyed with us for repeating ourselves, but continuing on the train of redefining, I mean, mm-hmm. we just like, need to get maybe need to get used to these structures it's the way streaming especially these shows have been working i brought this up because it didn't impact me in a negative way but also to say maybe like we can't let something like length or duration impact our critical analysis of the art which is hard to do sometimes i mean if it's very jarring if they started the fight and then stopped in the middle of it. I think a good example is the Hobbit trilogy. One of the movies ends with smog flying out of the cave covered in gold. And the next movie starts with them shooting smog down. So like extremely unsatisfying from my point of view. So there is like structure issue maybe there, but I think length and duration is something that shouldn't necessarily impact how much we like or don't like the thing, I think. And there might have been more footage or more scenes sure. that they cut out to make the episode better. You know, maybe it would have been too long-winded with all the, the B-roll. Right. No complaints from me, whether it's story-wise, length-wise. 
I re- I also really love seeing the political stuff. You know, there was a little bit of what like similar things to what we got in Andor in here with Hera and Chancellor Mon Mothma and the other senators and Senator Ziono, who some of us might know from Star Wars Resistance. So stuff like that. But I, I loved that scene. I loved Mary Elizabeth Winstead's acting in that scene. It has nothing to do with anything else we've been talking about here. But I guess it's just also to say that I really liked that stuff as well. So Jedi stuff, political stuff, Hugh Yang being awesome, space whales. But look, I'm, maybe I've said this before, but I'm like the grandpa from The Princess Bride. It's got everything you could want. Mon- monsters, true love, fencing, fighting, revenge. So there you go. I have to agree. Hey, so you, all right, you brought up the uh, the senator and chancellor scene with Hera. Did you pick up on the meta Phantom Menace moment in that scene? So they're they're talking about this like looming threat of Thrawn, and Hera says, "I believe their activity speaks to a larger operation." And then that bad guy senator goes, "It always does." And I'm like, "Come <laughs> on, this is most certainly like a backhanded way of there's always a bigger operation." <laughs> There was there's another poetry moment there. I think it's pointing to a bigger. I think it's again Andor with uh, Deborah Miro putting together the pieces and saying, "I think all of these isolated incidents mm. are symbols of nice. a larger rebellion." Right? Yeah, like yeah. that's another poetry moment there. Yeah. From yeah. the other side, like it's all cyclical, right? We have we have the Empire in charge and dealing with the same stuff that the rebellion is dealing with when the Republic's in charge. That was also an extremely interesting poetry moment for me, where it's like. The exact same boardroom, but everyone's on the opposite side of the political system. Hera just trying to do the right thing. I mean, she's done nothing but fought in wars and wants that to be over and not start a new one. And like people just not taking her seriously or thinking that they know better, which is, you know, the very Star Warsy folly of the political leadership I don't want to call it a trope, but storyline. Yeah, right? we're talking about Andor, Rogue One, when they have that meeting and they're like, we got to go to war. And they're like, no, right. we're not going to do this. And you're like, okay, I guess yep. we're going to go steal a ship and uh, we'll do this uh, on our own. Exactly, exactly. The political stuff from Rogue One to Andor to, I mean, whatever it was, the five minutes in this, I'm just loving this direction that they're showing in these shows, whether it's like a very politically charged show like Andor or like a more spacey, magical, Star Warsy show like Ahsoka. It's just so cool to see. I love it. Seeing Jason Sindula, something that I've kind of been waiting for and kind of curious on how they would introduce him. And he's still got the green hair, which was a weird thing, but much less weird. Like they toned it way down here, which was nice, but just kind of cool to see him running around with Chopper. It puts the timing in a little bit better perspective for me, I think. And also, just a heart-swelling moment. If you haven't seen Rebels, the kid wants to be a Jedi, like probably every kid in the galaxy does, right? But if you have seen Rebels, and you know that he is the son of a Jedi who isn't around anymore, it's very heartfelt, very uh, like emotion-swelling moment when he's like, I want to be a Jedi. And Hera like pats him on the head and she's like, I know. And it kind of, li- it's another one of those pauses in the show where it lingers and you have time to feel and you're not just like, on to the next thing, boom, 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 you know? So I really, really enjoyed that introduction of the kid. Yeah, I love that. As like, if you don't know the backstory, you're like, huh, is he just aware that Jedi are a thing? And like, he wants to be one? Like, I want to be an astronaut when I grow up sort of thing. 
Or does he know of his lineage and like, I'm just waiting for my turn to train with Aunt Ahsoka or whatever, you know? I want to know a little more about that selfishly. I I wonder if that's just going to be the one moment that we get in the series or if he comes back, if he interacts in future seasons or whatever. Uh, There could be a lot there. Right. There's also potential danger because one of the threats that exist out in Thrawn's space, I think now we know like they're not out in the unknown regions, which is where I thought that maybe they were going at the beginning. But a threat in Thrawn's space of the unknown regions is a race that abducts force sensitive children. So there's mm. some threat there. Mm. But then but like that's a that's maybe a little bit more of a tired trope, like the kid always getting kidnapped or whatever. But Cool to see Jason Sindula. Glad they didn't do the bright green hair. Make him look like an Oompa Loompa. All right, on that note with Thrawn, let's 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 wrap this up with some like forward thinking maybe because you just mentioned like, oh, maybe Thrawn will want to have something to do with this or that or the other thing. We've got this looming threat. Like he is the, the white walkers are coming, right? We, ha- we have nothing other than where's Grand Admiral Thrawn? Thrawn escaped with Ezra. No one's seen him for years. Oh, he's not around. We don't need to worry about the his threat. He's not even here. The Imperials don't have a central command. But if they had Thrawn, they would. Oh, no. That's obviously what we're setting up here. You've alluded to in the past, maybe this is a bait and a switch because we don't know anything about Thrawn in this era of the canon at the moment, right? It's like, what are his motivations? What is he thinking? We don't know. Let's speculate for one minute here. Like, maybe we don't even freaking see him this season. You know, maybe you want the stinger at the end of the episode. He shows up at the end of the season and that's it. We're not getting the major battle yet. The Imperials haven't regrouped. The First Order has not risen. Whatever this particular looming threat is has to culminate with more Mandalorian and more Ahsoka and more Book of Boba Fett in all of the Dave Filoni universe. I think this is really interesting how much we've kind of hinted at Thrawn, but we have not got Thrawn yet. And it's funny, we haven't really even talked about him on the show very much either because he's just not you know, day to day in the episodes. So what are your thoughts on that moving forward? Are we like, is Thrawn going to show up in the next one or two episodes? Or is this an end of the season sort of thing? What you're saying is you want some left (laughs) field theories. Uh, We might not talk about Thrawn day to day, but Thrawn lives day to day in my heart and mind. We're getting more and more to the point where I thought Thrawn might not necessarily be a capital B bad guy was a crazy left field theory. The more we go through this, the more Morgan is very driven in Toil and Trouble. She has that moment where she's like, Thrawn is calling to me through time and space. That one kind of was a little weird to me. Like, it doesn't sound like Thrawn. Why would he be calling to her? That kind of like, it's like ghostly whispers. It's very forcey, you know, very like she's a night sister, maybe some dark side stuff. The, the vibes, I would say, were off. So the more we get into this, the more I'm wondering, you know, is Morgan using the idea of getting Thrawn as like the way to get Imperial Remnant support to build her her giant hyperspace ring? And she knows that that's how to manipulate them. And it's not really about finding Thrawn. She's talking about like an ancient race from a distant galaxy there's lots of hints with like the language that's written in the end credits. It's not Orabesh, which is typically like the basic, how you write basic in the Star Wars galaxy. There's just some weird stuff here. There's weird musical cues, I think, especially in the first episode where there's like very ominous tones where it doesn't feel like there should be. I'm 
thinking more and more that this is a bait and switch, that Morgan isn't, her end goal is not Thrawn, but her end goal is a different, what might be a larger threat. Who is this ancient race? That seems like a very purposeful language. That seems like very purposeful language to use to use that without elaborating on it anymore, I guess. So I don't know. That's my left field theory. I also feel like I talk a lot on here on other channels that I'm a part of about how I really don't want Thrawn to be a villain. He's a good boy, apart from <laughs> all the terrible things he did for the Empire. But he's very susceptible to corruption by politics, which they point out in the books. And all he did in the books was want to help his people. He kind of did some questionable things to do that, but not always a capital B bad guy. And I would love, I would really love for this. To me, it would be a very interesting way for the story to go if it was a bait and switch. I'm not setting my expectations, but it is, there are things that are kind of like, mm, I don't know, I think Morgan's pulling something else here. I would not be surprised if like the final scene was him, but what what I think would be kind of cool is if he shows up at like the beginning of the last episode or the beginning of the two season finale. I'm not saying that's what we have. I don't know. But the beginning of the finale, I guess. And then we learn that he's not the threat and that there is a threat that he's been amassing forces to counter and then going into like season two or whatever, which I don't think we know that we're getting. But going into the next story, we have that to as the jumping off point. All right. So he pulls a Moff Gideon. He takes over the last like, you know, one to two episodes and right. flips it on its head. Right. Really give us something to complain about. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, <laughs> listeners, we would love to keep this conversation going. Uh, drop us some comments if you're here on YouTube or hit us up wherever you love to social media. What are your favorite poetry moments from this episode of Ahsoka? I mean, there was a million of them. We threw out a bunch, but if we missed any or you've got any other favorites, drop them in the comments and let us know if you're looking forward to Thrawn, if you care at all, if you think that Merrick is Starkiller or Ezra, drop your left field oh my theories. Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> we always uh, love hearing from you and we appreciate uh, the support. So make sure to subscribe for more conversations on Ahsoka and other cool properties. Whenever we talk about something other than Star Wars, one day we'll do it for sure. One day. Thank you for listening to the show today. I have been Royce. I've been Eli Vanto. And we've been Krypton, Krypton to, to all the path to Peridia. <laughs> <laughs>